Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is The End, Part 3, The Rapture, featuring Michael Davis. We are going to finish up our series called The End. If you didn't know already, we are going, we've been talking about the end times. Because why? Because everybody who either grew up in church, knows something about church, or still goes to church, has thought about this question, right? The end. When is it coming? What's going to happen? What's it going to look like? What's the deal with the 636, the mark of the beast, the tribulation, all of this stuff? And then there's been, what did I say, six. 636, that's, that's our area code, 666, 666, 616, whatever it is, 8679309, okay, whatever it may be, that's probably really the mark of the beast. Um, uh, you know, we've all thought about it, right? I'm glad you guys are paying attention this morning. Uh, we've all thought about it, it's all gone through our head, right? And if, if there's nothing else that you learn in this series, and if, if you're just joining us or if this is your first time, you can catch up on our podcast YouTube, online, Facebook, anchoredhope.church. But the thing I hope you take away more than anything is that you learn that, you know, the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, when he returns, it's not, an ho- it's not a horror film, right? It's not something that we should be afraid of. And, and that's really, whenever we started this, that's the main reason I thought, you know, I need to preach on this for the first time is because a lot of people, they're scared, right? They're afraid. They have these images in their head that have, you know, been told to us or passed down to us that, that quite honestly have kind of been manipulated, right? That kind of have been twisted a little bit. And so, you know, I hope that you, you've, you've kind of learned something that, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's there, but there's also a lot of space in between. And a lot of people think they know, but really not. None of us know. None of us know much about anything. And so we're going to wrap up this series today by talking about this. We're going we're gonna to talk about the rapture, okay? Now, now this, is, this is a fun one, right? And if you don't know anything about rapture, um, this is what rapture means. So the word rapture, this is the idea. The rapture is an end-time event when all Christian believers will ascend to me, no, meet, meet the Lord, okay? To, to meet the Lord. All right. Now you may have seen this depicted in, in like, especially like, has anybody? Um, I, I don't know if you want to raise your hand or not, but you, you can if you want. Has anybody read the Left Behind series? The Left Behind series? Oh, don't start yelling for it yet. Uh, it's gonna get bad. Anyway, everybody look around because you want to talk to these people after church. Uh, yeah. So there's this idea that Jesus is gonna come back, but before he does, all the Christians, all the believers, will be raptured, right? And we've seen this best depicted in the Left Behind series. And if you don't like reading books, don't worry, there's movies, okay? Um, There is a movie series with Kirk Cameron. If you don't know who Kirk Cameron is, um, some of you know him from Growing Pains, right? Um, Ashley Riopelle had a a, a Kirk Cameron poster in her bedroom, yeah. He's basically, if if you're not, if you didn't grow up in church, let me explain. He's the Brad Pitt of Christians, okay? Like, he's, he's the only good-looking Christian celebrity you have, and so girls just run to him. Men, too. But anyway, that's another sermon for another time. But if you don't know this, actually, there's another movie. There's the, there's the Kirk Cameron movie, but actually in 2014, did anybody ever see the Nicolas Cage Left Behind movie? Oh, it's the best one. Because Nick Cage <laughs> talking about the rapture is the funniest thing on earth. He's like, oh no, where did all the people go? <laughs> what do you mean, the Bible? I mean, it's just, you, <laughs> you gotta watch it, it's the best thing in the world. 
love it. I watched the trailer this week just to like remember some things, and I laughed so, so hard. It was so good. But so there's this idea of the rapture, right? And again, in Left Behind, it's like everybody disappears with their clothes. Their clothes are left, but they're naked somewhere in heaven with God, right? And Jesus just beamed them up naked, you know? We're all going to show up in heaven and be like, hey, Kirk Cameron, what's up, bro? I've been waiting for you for 30 years. Anyway, but here's the question I want to ask you, okay? Let's bring, everybody take a breath. Everybody take a breath. We're not supposed to laugh in church. Okay, here's the question. Where is the word rapture mentioned in the Bible? Think about it for a minute and don't answer out loud, okay? Where is the word rapture mentioned in the Bible? Here's the answer. It's not. Now think about this for a minute, okay? We've talked about this pretty extensively, but this kind of blew my mind, especially as I researched it, right? So we've so far in this series, we've talked about tribulation, antichrist, 666, mark of the beast, um, and, and, and rapture, okay? So what we've talked about so far is tribulation. The word tribulation is in the Bible one time. Mark of the beast uh, in 666, one time. Antichrist is, uh, there's four verses that mention Antichrist, but it's all written by John, the same person. Three of the four are all in the same letter, 1 John. And then you have the word rapture that's not even mentioned in the Bible. So think about this. We have this whole theology we have movies and books and classes that are dedicated to the end times, yet it's based off of three verses and five words, two, two of which are not even in, mentioned in the Bible, and zero of which Jesus ever said. Just let that soak in for a minute. And if that doesn't bother you, if that doesn't make you go, oh boy, then it should, okay? Because this is why we have to discuss these things. This is why we have to bring these things up. This is why we have to have difficult conversations and ask difficult questions. Because that's a problem, okay? When we base an entire theology off of three verses and a couple words and start making up words. So let me, let me ask you this. Where did the word rapture come from? I'll tell you. This is where the word rapture came from. It came from Scotland, okay? So here's what happened. Here's a timeline. So in, in the 1800s, there was this revival, Okay, there was this revival service, and a 13-year-old girl, a 13-year-old girl stood up in the middle of service and said she had a vision where Christ returned and all of the Christians dis disappeared and ascended into heaven. And she used the word rapture. She said, I had a vision, and it was a rapture. Well, guess who was there? John Nelson Darby was there, a pastor from America. And he saw her stand up, and he heard it, and he went, now that's cool. So he went back to America, and he started to tell everybody about it. He started to preach about it. He started to tell people about it. And guess what? The idea of a rapture was widely rejected. Nobody believed him. Nobody thought that that was accurate. Nobody picked it up. It, was kind of, it just kind of fell on deaf ears. But he took it from this 13-year-old girl in Scotland. Well, then all of a sudden, D.L. Moody and C.I. Schofield picked it up, and they liked it and believed in it, and they ran with it. Some of these names might be familiar. There's publishing houses that are built on these people's names. You may have heard of the reference Bible, the Schofield Bible, okay? Very popular reference book. And so D.L. Moody, who was an evangelist, and C.I. Schofield, who was a, 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 a preacher and, and a writer as well, they took it, and then they ran with it. Well, then it showed up in a reference Bible, right? So then Schofield's talking about it in a reference Bible in a book. D.L. Moody's preaching about it. So then it starts to catch a little fire, but still it's widely rejected. Now remember, this is just like in the past 150 years, okay? People hear this. This is the first time they've ever heard of the word rapture, 
And they're saying, I don't really think that's how it is. But then, all of a sudden, we get to this spot in the early 1900s where a group of pastors put together what's called the fundamentals. What was happening is in the deep south, many people who were called to ministry could not afford seminary. And so because of that, these group of pastors got together and they decided to write their own curriculum for pastors who couldn't afford seminary. Which is kind of why this, this idea and this, this view of rapture is more of a deep south thing. It's something you'd probably hear more in the south because it was basically developed in the south and it was taught in the south. And so for, for many, many years, many people, this is what they learned from the book of the fundamentals. But still didn't really catch fire. Until World War I. Because when World War I happens, you have all kinds of terrible things happening, especially in America. You have World War I, you have the Spanish flu, you have the Great Depression. And guess what? The idea of beam me aboard Scotty and get me the heck out of here got really popular. People loved it. People thought, I would love for this to be true, and they bought into it. Fast forward a little bit further, then we get to the 70s. And then we have Hal Lindsey, who wrote the, great, the Late Great Planet Earth. This was a book all on the end times. It was, a non, it was a nonfiction book, and it was hailed in the 1970s as the best nonfiction book of the decade. And Hal really broke down. He took this idea of rapture that Schofield had wrote about, that the fundamentals had wrote about, and he developed it even further and developed these ideas of an antichrist is going to come, there's going to be a mark of the beast, it's going to be 666, it's going to be on, either on your hand or your forehead, and then we're, you know, we're all going to be raptured at, at some point or time in this. This actually led to a movie series um, in the 70s and late 80s. It was actually, there's three to five of them, I think. I believe they're called The Thief in the Night. Is anybody old enough to, to yeah, don't raise your hand. Just put it down. It's okay. <laughs> but Thief in the Night movies, right? So some of you guys remember this. This was very popular in the movie theaters, Thief in the Night. And it was this movie series that inspired the book series that was released in 1995, Left Behind, that has sold 70 million copies. That's how we got there. But let's just, let's just take a, an inventory of what we've learned so far. Is the word rapture in the Bible? No. Where did it come from? A 13-year-old girl in the 1800s who stood up in the middle of service. So if any of you want to stand up in the middle of service and just shout a word, who knows? 200 years, <laughs> might be a book series about it. Nick Cage may be star in it because Nick Cage is not going to die. We all know. But anyway, but I, I, will, I will say this though, right? But we all, we all know this if we grew up in the church, and you may be thinking this in your head. There is, there is, idea, there is an idea of this in the Bible, right? This didn't, just didn't come out of nowhere. I mean, the word rapture originated, but the idea originated from Scripture, even things that actually Jesus did say. So we're going to take a look at that. We're going to unpack it, and we're going to talk about some what-ifs and some what-whos. And again, this is just a conversation. If you're new here, the rules for this conversation are, you know, that, you know, this is not essential to the faith. A lot of these are just options or opinions, and we'll get to the actual preaching part of the sermon a little bit later. But I want to I unpack some ideas with you. So this is what Jesus said. This is what we have recorded in Matthew. Jesus says, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in to marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they, and they knew nothing about what would happen. And he goes on, Until the flood came and took them all away. And that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left behind. And two women will be... 
Two women will be grinding. I'm sorry. I'm just. I got lost. Go back. Two women will be grinding in the in the thing. Uh, two women will be grinding with the hand mill, and one will be taken, and the other left behind. Right. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Okay. So there's obviously an idea of something what Jesus said, where Jesus said, you know, it, it will be in the, in the days of Noah, and what will happen is there will be two men in the field, there will be two men and women grinding at the wheel, and then one will be left, one will be taken, one will be left behind, right? And that's, again, that's, that's where we get this idea from. But I want to unpack what this means. So I want to take, there's a, something very specific here that's kind of a clue to me, and it's this. It says, um, as in the days of Noah... As it was in the days of Noah. I spent a lot of time researching this, this verse and looking at different opinions on it. And this is really specific because it says, as it was in the days of Noah. And that's like half of the verse. I mean, there's a lot of explanation there about how it was in the days of Noah and how it will be when Christ returns. Now, let's think about this, though. I mean, you probably are familiar somewhat with the, the story of Noah. Again, there's been a lot of movies and stuff on Noah as well. But in Noah, what happened? What happened with Noah is this, is God took the corrupt away and rebooted creation with the righteous. He went to Noah's family. He looked at the earth, and he looked at all of the sin and all the corruptedness, and he goes, you know what? We've got to have a fresh start, and the only righteous family that's left is Noah's. And so I'm going to bring a flood. I'm going to wipe everybody out. Noah, you're going to take creation onto your boat, two of every kind of animal, and including the velociraptors, and you're going to put them on the ark, and I'm going to have a flood. It's going to wipe everybody out, and then we're going to kind of start over, right? And then he made Noah a promise. I'll never, ever, ever do this again. Here's a rainbow as a sign of my covenant that, you know, I'm never going to wipe out creation like this again. But here's what's interesting. There's something so specific about this, right? What happened in the story of Noah? In the story of Noah, it's the corrupt that are taken away, not the righteous. Let me ask you a question that might go, because it made me go, who's to say the evil won't be raptured? Ooh, right? I mean, we always think that it's the righteous who will be raptured, that the righteous will be beamed up to heaven, Right? And, and the, the evil or the corrupt will get to stay here on earth, and the earth will become like some sort of like, you know, hell or something like that, right? But, but there's two ideas here, and you kind of have to pick and choose, and, and really what you believe kind of says what you believe or think about God. And here are the two different kind of ideas. One is God will retreat from his creation with his people and surrender it to evil. The other idea, if you think about the evil being raptured, is God will reclaim his creation with his people and banish the evil. Yeah. So kind of depends on what you might think about God. And that's my question. That's what I wondered this week. You know, what, 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 is, what do you think is going to happen? Because here's what I think. When God made the earth, when God made man and woman, he looked at creation and he said, what? It is good. It's good. Ain't nothing wrong with it. It's good. Even when the world was so corrupt and all there was left was Noah's family, he didn't give up on his creation. He said, you know what, I'm not going to allow somebody to take this from me. I'm not going to allow somebody to take this from me. I'm going to reclaim it. I'm going to wipe out the corrupt. I'm going to take my righteous, and I'm going to reboot this, and I'm going to reclaim what I made because what I made is good. Let me give you an idea. And this is, again, just an idea, okay? And if you don't believe it, it's still, like I said, it's okay. What if the idea isn't that God is going to come get us and retreat 
to heaven and, and, and leave his creation and abandon it and leave it to rot or be destroyed or whatever it may be or even become a, a hell? What if instead the idea would be that God's not surrendering to anybody? God's going to come back and take what is his. God's going to come back and he's going to come back and he's going to create the Garden of Eden, what he intended it to be. To bring it back, to bring us back to how it was supposed to be in the garden. How it was when it was originally made, when he saw that it was good. What if God is actually not going to rapture us? What if God is going to rapture or banish or kick out of the garden once again everybody else? And we will be here on earth with God in Eden. It's an idea. It's an opinion. I mean, think about it. What did Jesus tell us to pray? Your kingdom wait for us in heaven? No. He said, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe, right? Some of you are like, I need another coffee. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've never thought about this before. Kirk Cameron is so, you know, anyway. Uh, now, let, but let's unpack it because there's, there's, there's more there, right? There's more, there's more scripture, more stories that, that, that maybe give us some clues. So let's continue to unpack this a little bit more, right? So even Paul talked about this, actually, which is kind of a surprise because Paul didn't even meet, meet Jesus. He came so much later, and he wasn't really considered a prophet. But there were some things that he knew, some things that he talked about, especially when he wrote uh, Thessalonians. And so let, let's go look at this. So this is what Paul says. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command with the voice of archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will arise first after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever now see some of you already knew where I was going or wondered about this verse or you were going to email me about this verse I cut you off now you can't email me okay because a lot of people like this verse as well even like I kind of when I was writing this sermon series I kind of like poked a couple people that are outside of our church I was like hey Here's this grenade. Hold it for me. Email me when you have questions. And so somebody actually did email me this verse and said, but what about this? Now, here's what's interesting about this is that in this verse, there are two, two things that kind of pop up that might give us some clues about what Paul is actually talking about. And the first one is, is if you read this in the original translation, if you read this in the Greek, you would see this word right here, parousia. Now, parousia is not a biblical word. It's a cultural word. It's kind of like if I use the word Mardi Gras, right? Everybody knows what Mardi Gras is. If I say Mardi Gras, you all have a picture. Now get that picture out of your head. You're dirty, all right? But parousia was a cultural thing. Parousia was this. At that time, the kind of anthem of the country, the Rome and Caesar, was peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. And there's another verse that I didn't get to fit into this sermon that you can go find where Paul talks kind of about this, and he says, peace and safety, peace and safety. That was a common term because that, that was what the government thought they were doing by going out and destroying other nations and taking it in and making the Roman Empire even larger. So what would happen is Caesar and his huge Roman army would go out, they would invade, and they would take over, and they would return from battle. And when Caesar returned from battle, the celebration was known as parousia. And what would happen was, is as, his, as Caesar's army got a little bit closer, they would blow a big trumpet. And so that's why you see in many of these New Testament letters, and the trumpet will blow, because what does that signify? The king has returned. And so the king, the 
trumpet would go, king is returned, and everybody would run outside the gates of the city, make an aisle, and bow down to Caesar, the king, and welcome him. And then as he passed, they would parade inside. And so when Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, he says, Parousia is on its way. There will be a parousia. Oh, you mean Caesar? And no, Paul goes, no, I'm, I'm talking about the true king. The true king, the God that created us, Jesus' father. He is coming back, and he is the true king, and we will run out to meet him, and we will welcome him. So there's this idea that the true king is coming back. Now, again, we talked about how last week there may be, there's an opinion that Revelations is a very political letter. And again, even in that letter of Revelations, the same idea of this parousia is seen through. Many of you talked about this. You talked about there's, there's this one verse about how Jesus will come back and he'll be on a horse and his robe will be dipped in blood and he'll have a sword and he'll have a sword in his mouth. And it looks, sounds very scary, right? Like Jesus is going to come back on a, with a sword and just start whacking people and there'll be blood on his robe and stuff. But actually, many people believe that what is being said in Revelations is that Jesus will come back and it will be as a parousia except for the blood on his robe is not because of blood that he spilt. It will be his blood that he shed for you and I so that we could be forgiven of his sin. And the sword, it is not in his mouth, and it's not in his hand because he's not going to hurt anybody. It will be in his mouth because he will speak the truth. And so there's this idea here that Paul is saying that the true king is coming back. Not Caesar, because remember what Caesar wanted to be. Caesar wanted to be recognized as the Lord, as the true Son of God. And Paul and all of these other writers are saying, you guys have it so backwards. The real king is coming, and we will run out to meet him. We will run out to welcome him. Now, the idea, though, is still there, but it says to go and meet up in the clouds, right, or to, to go up and meet. But maybe that language was chosen on purpose because it's funny, the same language is found in the story of Exodus, which every single Jew would know. Let's look, and you'll see some similarities here, right? In the story of Exodus, it says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Hmm, seen that before, right? And everyone in the camp trembled. And then it goes on, and it says, The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses up to the top of the mountain. So what did Moses do? Moses went up. There's even, even some original translations that say what? Moses ascended, right? So here's the thing. There are ideas throughout Scripture, throughout Scripture of God coming down to earth and us going up to meet him. For us, for there to be a cloud, for there to be trembling, for there to be trumpets, for there to be a scary element. Because, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. We were talking about the creator of the earth, the king of kings. And so there's all of these stories and all of these things that any Jew would pick up on when they read Paul's letters and go, Okay, I understand. The true king is going to come back. And this is what it's going to kind of look like. And we are going to run out to meet him. And we're going to meet him. And we will go up. And, and this is what it's going to look like. So the question is still there, and you can really choose either way. Are we going to go up to heaven to meet him, or is it possible that God the Father will send his son Jesus to come down to meet us, and we'll, we'll be here with him? You could go either way with it. But here's what we do know, and this is where it switches from, you know, biblical commentary, history talk to, I'm preaching at you, so buckle your seatbelts in, all right? This is what we do know. This is, this is what we're told uh, by Paul. 
He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will, not, we will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now, here's what we do know for certain. Debate, you can debate rapture up, down, backwards, whatever it may be. But here's what we do know. When it comes, nobody will see it coming. And when it comes, it will happen in a flash. And what we know is that the dead, it's like the dead right now are currently sleeping. You know like when you sleep, you don't know how long you sleep. You can sleep for 12 hours and it can feel like a second, right? Think about that being like that way for the dead. Those who have passed before us, it's like they're asleep. And when Jesus returns, bam, everybody wakes up and it feels like a second for everybody. And so when we, when we all fall asleep and when we all die and we wait for Jesus to come back, Jesus comes back and bam, and all of a sudden the imperishable, or the perishable become imperishable. We all change. Death is defeated and there's a victory, right? It goes on in Corinthians and it, it says this, When the perishable have been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. In that moment, Jesus will take his throne. Jesus will reclaim what Jesus came to claim. And everything in a flash, no one will see it coming. In other verses it says it will be like a thief in the night. Everything will change in that moment. Now here's the question, right? And I've I've asked this, and you may have asked this, and it's an important question to ask. What what is God waiting for? Have you ever thought about this? Like if Jesus is going to come back and everything's going to get better, and he's going to make the perishable imperishable, and, you know, no more death, no more suffering, no more cancer, none of this stuff, then why doesn't God just do it? That's a great question. And my best answer I could give you is this. God is giving us time. God is giving us time. Because here's the thing. When Jesus comes back and reclaims what he has lost, what we have corrupted, what we have destroyed, guess what? I think that's it. I think that that, that, that we're done there. Maybe I'm wrong. We don't really know. How could we really assume? But God is giving us time. You know, he even gave Noah and everybody there time. It took Noah some time. You know, when God came to Noah, he didn't just say, hey, there's a boat around back. Go get in it real quick because everybody's about to die, right? He had Noah build it, and it took time, and people were warned. Noah warned people, and what did they do? They laughed at him. They continued with their lifestyle. They continued to make the choices they did. They didn't turn to God, and they were lost. But they, they had time. And here's the thing. I think God is, is giving us an opportunity. I think God is giving us time not to live your life, but to help some people not miss out, to not be left behind or taken or, or whatever it may be. I mean, think about it. When Jesus came and preached, this is what Jesus said. Matthew wrote it down for us. Jesus said, from that time on, Jesus continued to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent now. The kingdom of heaven is near. He always talked with this urgency. It's going to come. You need to come on. You need to come on. You need to repent. It's here. It's here. It's here. Now, here we are 2,000 years later, and it still hasn't happened, right? And I think that's sometimes how we treat God. Yeah, the kingdom of God is near. Yeah, like in another 5,000 years or in my lifetime, probably not, you know, here's the thing. And that's, that's the problem, right? Jesus, he spoke with this urgency. 
I don't think he was talking about literal time. I think he was speaking with urgency, talking about the importance, how, how quick life goes by, how nothing is promised to us, how we need to treat this with urgency, and how urgent we need to treat this with the people that we care and we love about. And that's the problem, is this, is that many of us live as if we have all the time in the world. And here's the thing. If you knew when Jesus was coming back, if you knew that Jesus was going to return tomorrow, I bet there are some people you would have invited to church today. If you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, I bet you'd plan out your day a little bit differently. I bet if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, you'd maybe spend your money a little bit differently. I bet you'd probably invest in some different things. I bet you'd be a little bit more generous. I bet you wouldn't care about some things. I think you'd probably ask some difficult questions. You'd probably say a prayer tonight. You'd probably worship. You'd probably do a lot of things differently if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow. But the problem is, is we treat our life like we have all the time in the world. And we do that. We do that with our family. We do that with our friends who don't have a relationship with God. We just leave it out there. Leave it hanging. Because we go, well, one day. One day I'll talk to them about God. One day I'll tell them my testimony. One day I'll invite them to church. One day I'll deal with my stuff. One day me and God will work this out. One day, one day, one day. Well, what happens when you don't have one day anymore? See, there, don't, don't be mistaken. There's a time that is going to come where Jesus is, is going to draw a very hard line. And this is how he described it in his, his own words. I won't, won't preach at you. I'll let him do it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Since the creation of the world. Since the creation of the world. The kingdom that was made for you since the creation of the world. Hmm. And then he says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then if you know how the scripture goes on, the scripture goes on and it says, but then people come forward and go, but oh, wait, wait a minute. When were you thirsty? When were you hungry? When were you naked? When were you in prison? And Jesus says what? Jesus says, when you did for the least of these is when you did for me. See, make no mistake about it, there's a day that is going to come, and it's going to catch all of us off guard. It's going to surprise everybody. For some of us, it'll be when Jesus comes back. For some of us, it'll be when we pass unexpectedly, and we'll wake up, and we will be in the middle of the second coming where Jesus returns. And that day's going to come, and there's going to be a very, very hard line. And in another place in Scripture, Jesus says, let me explain something to you. It's a narrow gate. It's a narrow gate. And there are going to be a lot of people who don't make it. Even in this verse, it's, he said it calls them the righteous. The righteous will look up, to the look up to the Father and go, but when, but when, but when? It's the righteous. There's going to be people who went to church who go to hell. That's fact. There are going to be people who knew about God or even believed in God, but didn't pick up their cross and follow God, who are not going to be ready for the second coming. 
And so the thing that you have to ask yourself is, am I ready? Am I truly, if it did? Am I ready? But here's the other thing. If you believe this to be true, if you believe this to be true, where's your urgency for all of the people that you know and you love that you don't know if they'd make it? Not that you should judge, but just that you want to be sure do make it. Where is your urgency for your family, for your friends? Because one day we're not going to have any other chances to talk about it. One day we're not going to have an opportunity to pick up the phone. One day we're not going to get an opportunity to share our story. It'll be done. And Jesus will reclaim what was his. And he'll give us the kingdom that he's created for us. So to wrap up this series, to wrap up this series, this, this is what I think would be important for us to all take away as a church. When it comes to the end times, what if Christians focused on preparing for Christ rather than an antichrist. Just stop, okay? It's not the next Democratic Republican. It's not Oprah, okay? It it could be Nicolas Cage because I haven't seen him age. But forget about antichrist, all right, for a minute. Sorry, I had to make you laugh because you guys were real quiet for a minute, all right? What if we made the end times conversation about preparing for Christ? You personally, Are you prepared for Christ? Are you ready for Christ's return? And the people around you that you care about, are they prepared for Christ? If not, what are you doing about it? Look, invite them to church. Tell them your story. Tell them your testimony. Tell them about how God has changed your life. Look, it's not bad news. It's called the good news. Share it with somebody, for goodness sakes. But what if we focused on not not the Antichrist, but preparing for Christ? What What could go right rather than what could go wrong? We're so focused on every time there's a bad thing that happens in the world. This is it. This is it. This is it. But let's talk about all the things that have gone right. I am so sick and tired in the church of seeing conventions and Facebook posts and sermons about the good old days. About the good old days where we used to do this and we used to do that and the world's falling apart. And oh no, church attendance is down and people are less going to church. You know what? We need to, some of that is on the church. Some of that is on us as Christians. It's not that the world is going to the hell in a handbasket and that the culture is super messed up. A lot of it is over things that the church has done. And we've just not made Christ disinteresting, but the church disinteresting. And we need to do our job. We need to do our part on looking at what is going right in the world. The important conversations we're having and use that to get people attracted to the good news that Christ has given us today. That's important for us to do. It's an important conversation for us to have. And then Christ's redemption rather than his revenge. You know, here's the thing about the whole end time stuff and about revelations and all this stuff. is It's really counter to me to think of the, 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 the gospel story. God created the earth and God did, some, God did some things that he had to do in order to get to Jesus that, that were dark and that were crazy, but it had to be done because it had to get us to Jesus. And then Jesus comes, and Jesus is all about grace and mercy and peace and hopefulness and forgiveness and patience. And then all of a sudden, we've taken it to, but when Jesus comes back, he's going to go back to a savage murderer with a sword with blood all over his robe, and he's going to start slicing everybody up. Do you think that Jesus is coming back for revenge, or do you think he's coming back to redeem? To redeem creation, to redeem those who have followed him, to come and to once again offer grace and peace and mercy. Do you think that when Jesus comes back, suddenly his character is going to change? I don't buy that, and I don't think so. 
I think that Jesus is still gracious, still peaceful, still hopeful, still patient. And that when he returns, will we see, will we see what needs to be happen, happen, what he's promised to happen? Yes, definitely. But I don't think he's going to come back on a murderous rampage on a horse. That doesn't sound like my Jesus. I don't see that Jesus anywhere in the three years of ministry that we have recorded. It just doesn't, I just don't buy it. But what if we focused on his redemption rather than his revenge? And what if we focused on hope rather than fear? We should be hopeful as believers. So for us, as far as our church goes, we will be hopeful. We don't get doom and gloom. We don't fall apart when things happen. This last year, this pandemic has been one of the best years of ministry for us. And you know why? It's because we pivoted. We were hopeful. Our leadership team, I, I just, I think the world of our leadership team, they did such a fantastic job helping us steer this ship through this pandemic. And we've grown through it. We've added more community partners. We have fed the hungry. We have given the thirsty a drink. We have visited those in prison. And we have been able to, we've adopted babies. We've done all kinds of stuff. We have done so much good and been there and been a light in our community. And why? Because we didn't turn to doom and gloom. We stayed hopeful and we stayed focused on the message of Christ. And we stayed focused on the command that he gave us to love God and to love our neighbor. Amen? And you know what? Our church attendance isn't down. Our church generosity isn't down. And I just told somebody yesterday, you know what? At some point, maybe the church should take a look at those who are being successful and take a couple plays from our playbook. Because what we're doing is not watering down the truth. What we are doing is being Jesus in our community. And that's what we believe in. That's what we believe we're called to do. Because what did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples by what? By how you love. And that... That for us is the centerpiece of Anchored Hope Church. That is what we believe makes us a church for people who don't like church. That is what we believe helps us inspire people to a growing relationship with Jesus. So I'm going to invite our band to come back up. And we're going to sing a song that I, I sent to CJ a, a couple weeks ago that just fits this theme so much. And, and the words of this song go like this. The, the words of our song say, you know, that Jesus, we're, we're, we're waiting for you. And we're your church, and we're ready. We are ready for you. Jesus, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not saying that, you know, we're, we're not, uh, sorry, that really threw me off. I thought, oh, that's it. I'm, I'm dead, you know. <laughs> I, I preached my last sermon, and there's gunfire, and that's it. Dad, my last sermon was on the rapture. I really wanted it to be about Song of Solomon or something, you know, way sexier, and it was on the rapture. That's just a joke, Jesus. No. We're not focused on doom and gloom. We're a church waiting for you, and we're ready because we're hopeful. We're ready for your redemption. We're ready for you to reclaim creation. We're ready for you, Jesus. That is what we are focused on as a church. That is what we are all about, and that's what I want you to be focused on. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful. God has got you. God has got you right where he needs you. God's got you in his hands, and there's nothing to fear. There's nothing but hope to be had. So will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing this song together. Father God, we come to you today, and God, we, we just claim we are ready for you. We are hopeful for you. 
God, whatever it may look like, we, we really don't know. We, we have a lot of options. There's a lot of opinions out there. But, God, we, we do. We truly believe that when you come, the true king, the true king will return. And we will, we will run out to meet you. And, God, we will be ready. We will be excited. We will know exactly what it is. Because we believe. We put our faith in you. Father God, will you... Will you prepare us? If there's any area of our life right now, if there's not a sense of urgency in us to get right with you, if there's not a, a sense of urgency to, to invite people to follow you, to share our story, to share our testimony with somebody, God, would you put that urgency in us today? If there's a family member, if there's a friend, if there's somebody that we're concerned about, God, will you put that urgency in us? Will you help us to be ready right now? For your return as if it could happen at any moment as if it could happen at any time would you prepare us lord god we thank you and we praise things in your name amen if you would like to support anchored hope you can make a donation at anchoredhope.church forward slash give if you'd like to connect with someone from anchored hope go to anchoredhope.church forward slash high thank you for listening and god bless